This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined by Nick Horwat, who looks like he's in an abandoned motel, but no, it's just because he's in the middle of moving. Horwat, moving days are always very, very stressful, so glad you could sit down and uh, we could have our normal weekly chat about the Pittsburgh Penguins. <clears throat> yeah, I made sure to not move my desk yet. Uh, we got all the heavy stuff done yesterday. Uh, the couch did become a fatality. It didn't fit uh, oh. into our new apartment setup. So uh, we had to find a new couch and find one in a hurry because she's got friends coming over this week. Uh, well, <laughs> she has a friend coming in from Ohio to see Taylor because we're all seeing Taylor Swift on Saturday. Uh, mm. And he needs a place to sleep. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we all we knew Horwat was a Swifty at heart. You know, listen, the old stuff's actually way better <laughs> than the new stuff, and I don't care what anyone says about it. Um, listen, I don't have anything against Taylor Swift. No, me neither. I'd go to a concert if I had money. <laughs> if you and and if it, it's the kind of show where I mean, Megan managed to beat out that Ticketmaster nonsense. So, Jeez. uh, what? Yeah, so it's uh, it's gonna be a good time, but we just have to figure out a couch situation fairly soon. And I need to get my yeah. desk moved. <laughs> Everything else in this Ca- apartment is just about empty, though. Well, there you go. Couches are uh, couches are always difficult, but regardless, yeah. uh, let's talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins and start with the captain himself, Sidney Crosby, because he kept pace to reach the top five in all-time point scoring, at least the pace that we set at inside the Penguins. In 2022-23 season, he played all 82 games for the first time since 2017-18. He had 33 goals, which was the second straight 30-goal season for Crosby, and he scored 93 points, which was his most since 2018-19. He began the year tied for 21st in NHL history with Dale Howarchuk. He moved up all the way to 15th all-time this season, sitting currently at 1,502 points, which is within 31 of both Paul Coffey and former teammate Mark Recchi. So the question then becomes, as we'll get to in a minute, not quite yet, is do we still believe he'll finish in the top five of all time? But as of right now, we look at the season that he had, it's something that tells me that Sidney Crosby has yet to really hit any sort of actual decline. I mean, yes, there's going to be some decline because he's 35, 36 years old. You're going to see that naturally progress, but it seems like he's fending it off for as long as humanly possible. Yeah. And that's exactly what he should be doing. And that was kind of a fun little storyline to follow all season was him kind of just jumping past all these all time greats in this, in this scoring race. Uh, And without the numbers in front of me, it was just, it was interesting seeing him do it, like we said, at this age, at you know, without slowing down, and you know, playing all 82 isn't easy. He had, he 
has only done it a handful of times. Him and Gino did it for the first time together. It's really a testament to what he can do, and it's going to be really, really fun watching him uh, continue to push that limit, push that number. I mean, he's within 32, you said, of those two, right? 31 points of both Coffee and Recky for 14th and 13th all time. Yeah, so 13, 14, he'll easily crush those just uh, in the first couple months of the season and then moving up the ranks from there. Yeah, the one thing that was interesting is because he did play 82 games for the first time in almost five years, that towards the end of the season, he did slow down a bit. And we don't know if he was dealing with injury and maybe minor bumps and bruises or the fact that he's just over the age of 35 and trying to play 82 games with a team that forces him to play a larger role than he probably should have needed to. Um, but no, because remember, he was on pace for... 111 points at one point, and that was yeah. not like five games into the season. He was about halfway through the year. He, he was still on pace for about 110, 111 points. And, and then the second half, he did slow down. But at the same time, when you look at his work over an 82-game season to score 93 points, you know, his 18th straight point-per-game season, it, it's always impressive to watch Sidney Crosby. And it seems as if, while, yes, he's not, the guy that's going to go out there and win scoring titles, certainly not against a guy like Connor McDavid, who's putting up 150 plus points. Uh, he's somebody that's going to be in the conversation with over point per game and, and looks like he's somebody that at least one more season, I would say at least next season, you could probably count on him to put up close to 90 points. Yeah. You, you, you're going to hit that point per game. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're going to hit that point per game note just because uh, he is, he's yet to miss that. So that's just an easy, you know, as, as long as he remains consistent, that part should continue. And then, uh, yeah, just he may not hit 100 points. He may not hit, he may not hit 90. Uh, but eventually the progression or the regression will get him. But, I mean, for now you can at least stack him up and say he should be able to get 90. So here was the pace that we set before the season for Sidney Crosby to reach fifth all-time, which would be 1,799 career points. He currently sits with 1,502. Um, and to get to top five, he would have to beat out Ron Francis, also another former Pittsburgh Penguin. But this year, we had in that pace 90 was what he needed. He scored 93, so he's ahead of pace mm -hmm. uh, by three. Next season is the last one where uh, we projected that he would need to finish with over 82 points which he would need another 90 points next year. I think that's the most important season. I know as it goes forward in 2024-25, which is the last year of his current contract, we have 60 points down here, and then it's 50 points for three more seasons in order to get into the top five, which, listen, that's no easy feat either. You'd never know how quickly somebody is going to deteriorate, uh, but the, with the way that Crosby has changed the way that he plays the game, he doesn't rely on scoring off the rush. He doesn't rely simply on scoring himself. I feel like it is still realistic, and we'll get to that in a second, but 90 points last season was the ask. He finished with 93. He needs 90 next season, 60 the following season, then 50 for three more. That would be to put him at fifth all-time with 1,799. The problem then becomes there are two players one of them, I think, is unlikely to finish with more points than Sidney Crosby, and one of them that you just have to project out so far that it's questionable, but the current pace is, is scary. Alex Ovechkin is the next closest active mm -hmm. player to Sidney Crosby. 
However, Crosby was able to separate a bit from Ovechkin because Ovi missed some time this year for the first time, basically in his entire career. <laughs> and Crosby pulled out by 17 points and now has a lead on Alex Ovechkin. I don't think he's looking back from there. No, not at all. I We can remember early, early in the season, it was probably the first couple of weeks, um, he passed him in points. And I don't think it was even the first time that he did it. Uh, but he had passed him in points to kind of move up in this scoring race that Ovechkin is also involved in. But, and I think we thought at the time those two were kind of going to jockey for position all year. And then Krause went on that really hot run where he was pacing for 111 points in the season and he just tore away from Ovechkin who, not that Ovechkin had a bad season. Again, I don't have the numbers, but he, him and the Capitals didn't have the same year they normally would. Um, and then obviously toward the end of the year, Ovechkin took his time off, so Crosby was able to capitalize on a few more. Um, at this point, though, yeah, I think it's Crosby's race to lose almost between him and Ovechkin, uh, which, again, like I said, nothing against Ovechkin in that, but uh, it, every time we discuss the point totals between those two, my mind almost always immediately goes to, yeah, but look at the games played, guys. You have to. Nothing against Ovechkin and his work, but I mean... Just look at the amount of... He's played, like, 200 more games or something like that. Mm -hmm. Give Crosby those 200 games. If you give Crosby those 200 games, there is a good chance that he would already be around Mario Lemieux for eighth all-time in the NHL history because he's 221 points shy of Lemieux for the Penguins' all-time record. So, I mean, give him 200 games. He's over a point per game in his career, especially when he missed those games. Like, think about that he was missing a lot of those games, the bulk majority of them, in the prime of his career Mm -hmm. when he was 23, 24, and it was slowing him down from paces where he was going to score probably Connor McDavid-esque numbers, 120, 130 points if he was able to stay healthy those years. But, again, you can never count on ifs. You never right. really know what would have happened, but he would certainly be much further ahead than Ovechkin is, and he would be a lot higher up on the all-time scoring list, as we sit here today. No, of course he would be. And, I mean, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with what Ovechkin has done over his career. I mean, he's going for a much more he's going for a much more breakable record. Than, more prominent, I would assume, and he can be become actually number one, whereas Crosby's never going to catch yeah. probably either Yager or Gretzky for one. Yeah, and two. I meant to say catch a much more unbreakable record. He's going for the goals number that you know was one of the many that you know people thought couldn't ever be broken. So he's Ovechkin's probably going to get that number. We know that's what he's playing for anymore. And yeah, I mean Crosby has a chance to become top five. Standards are a little lower than top one, but um, again, we know that that point record is just astronomical and to the point where, I don't know if I said it on the podcast to you or not, but we discussed Connor McDavid and his you know, stupid crazy pace. Even he's not on that pace anymore, the Wayne Gretzky pace, and he's got a lot of career left, so it's going to take somebody new, maybe, to trounce Gretzky's numbers, which is ridiculous. Who knows? Maybe that's Connor Bedard. You never know. I mean, the kid is what? He's 17, 18 years old right now, so it's very hard to project. Who knows if he's ever even going to be, you know, to the level of a Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby or even a Jack Hughes, because Jack Hughes is, you know, he what? Finished with 98, 99 points this year. And he's starting to show that he is very much was worthy of a first overall selection. But mm-hmm. there's tiers to first overall picks. Uh, a lot of people think that. Connor Bedard is going to be in the tier that 
Connor McDavid was, that Sidney Crosby was, but only time will tell. Uh, and obviously, we all assume that he will be going to the Chicago Blackhawks with the first overall selection. But uh, you mentioned Connor McDavid. I want to briefly just throw this stat out there. Connor McDavid has 850 points in his career in 569 games so far. So if he plays at least the amount of games that Crosby has played right now, so once he matches what Crosby has at this moment, if he stays on that same pace, he would have 1,777 points, which would already place him at sixth all time. Hey, yeah, it's... That's the biggest threat at right now to Sidney Crosby. If he gets into the top five, that's the biggest threat to knock him out. So if Crosby really wants to finish top five, which we all know that's not a, that's not a primary goal of his. His goal is the fourth Stanley Cup. But... For, for those that want to see him finish top five, you might want him to, to fly up to fourth, not fifth, and not just pass Ron Francis, but pass whoever's in fourth, which I'll need to look up real quick. Uh, ooh, Messier? It might be. Because I think it's Gretzky, Yager, Hal, Messier, Francis. Let's test my hockey trivia. Gretzky, Yager, Messier, Hal. Ah. I was, okay, had them, switch, had them flipped. You? Yeah, so... You put yourself above Gordy Howe, though. That's that's something. Yeah, he would he would need to do probably another season of fifty points because Gordy Howe is at one thousand eight hundred fifty. Uh, the pace that I had set has him at one thousand seven hundred ninety nine. So he would need fifty one points in twenty twenty eight twenty nine to pass Gordy Howe. Uh, wouldn't put it past him, but also playing six more years yeah. is is a crazy thought and scoring 50 points for six more years is is an even crazier thought so let me yeah. ask you the question Horwat. this is what we've all been building up to here as it stands right now do you think Sidney Crosby will pass Ron Francis for fifth all time when it's all said and done I do believe so he's Sidney Crosby's always been this star of consistency this guy that like we mentioned he's Never gone a season, even through injuries, without hitting a point per game. If he's playing 20 games in a season, you know, he's got at least 20 points. He's got probably 40. If he's playing all 82, I mean, this past season, he got 93. So he's got that sort of consistency with him. I mean, if you take it year by year, all right, let's say he plays all 82 again next season, fingers crossed, knock on wood, uh, we're betting on another at least another 82 points we're pushing to 90 because that's the kind of pace he needs to be at i think because he is just so consistent that he has a phenomenal chance of getting there and should be able to get there not with ease but with uh with relative pace next season weirdly enough even though in the pace and the projections that we've set up at inside the penguins next season is the most points remaining on the projections, I'm not really worried about next season. What worries me is the back half, seeing him score 50 points at the age of 38, 39, 40 years old, seeing him still score 50 points at that at that age, that's what worries me because next season, as you mentioned, 82 games, we'd like to see him play that. He's probably still over a point-per-game player because he showed that easily this past season. But also... Sidney Crosby played all 82 games, which means he's healthy. Mm -hmm. He's healthy going into this offseason. Yeah, he might have some bumps and bruises that he needs to get some ailments fixed. But overall, he doesn't have any major injuries that he's going to need to rehab. So he can just build this offseason. And 
it's the longest offseason he's had since he was 18 years old. So he has that built-in extra rest, not to mention because of that, or that is because of, I should say, that the Pittsburgh Penguins missed the postseason. Don't you think that he's going to be a little more motivated to carry this team, not just to the postseason, but into a prominent role in the Eastern Conference standings next season? And for that to happen, Sidney Crosby's going to have to go off. And again, I said this at the end of the regular season, and I was proven wrong. It was the first time that, I'm not going to say Sidney Crosby let me down, but it was the first time that I bet on Sidney Crosby and I lost. Mm -hmm. 18 years, he was undefeated when I bet on him. I said, you know what? Sidney Crosby's not going to let this team miss the playoffs. They missed the playoffs. But with, with, with what we've seen from Kyle Dubas in the first two weeks, the way that he wants to take this organization, at least the way that he is talking about taking this organization, I think there's going to be a better team around him. He's yep. going to have the fire to try to get into the postseason because he missed for the first time since he was 18. And he's going to have a full, long, healthy offseason. I'm not worried about the 90 points. What worries me is 50 points in 2027-28 uh, just to get one point above Ron Francis. Right. It's it's going to be the later years that where it becomes a slog a little bit. And um, yeah, he's absolutely going to come into this next season uh, much more motivated. And, you know, thinking bigger picture about next season, are we not already projecting this team to be better? We have yeah. Kyle Dubas in the front office who's going to be making the decisions for the foreseeable future, I would assume. I would get, If I had to guess right now, I'd say we don't have a GM until the season starts. That's just me kind of spitballing, though. Um, and regardless, even if we do, we're not getting some veteran guy. We're going to get a first-timer who's going to be learning the tricks of the trade still. So Kyle Dubas is going to be building this team one way or the other. And it's already a net positive from Ron Hextall. We have, yeah, we have minor things to figure out otherwise. And they're not minor, but we have other things to figure out otherwise. But the drive is going to be there for Sidney Crosby. And this, the, there should be more support with him. There should be more... Uh, help to be had and more uh, more I don't know how else to put it but it should be a better season for the Penguins as a team I, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at yeah I see I see where you're at right now and, and honestly I think anybody who believes the Pittsburgh Penguins a team with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang at that level uh, and somebody that came in and doesn't have the attachment to the mistakes uh, because, you know, let's face it, even though Ron Hextall got rid of the mistakes at, at the trade deadline, whether that be Kasperi Kapanen and his contract or Brock McGinn and his contract, Kyle Dubas comes in and looks at this entire team and has no real attachment to anybody. Yes, he's going to continue to keep Sidney Crosby. Yes, Malkin and yes, Latang, they're already under contract, but he doesn't have any, you know, a a, a, he doesn't, other than the Sioux connection, he doesn't have any real connection to Jeff Carter. He doesn't have connection to Mikhail Granlin. Those aren't his mistakes. So if he's going to go and try to clean up, he's cleaning up somebody else's mess and he doesn't have to worry about admitting his wrongdoing. So uh, we all expect the team to look better heading into next season. We expect them to be better on paper heading into next season. And now all that's left for Dubas to do is uh, execute. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what he's able to do there. But no, a nice conversation here about Sidney Crosby because, you know, we always got to mention the captain at least once a month. Uh, but we are going to take a quick break when we return. A little bit of news and notes, some on Kyle Dubas, some on the Penguins' assistance. We'll get to that after the break. Hey, it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsidePenguins.com. We do have a couple of small news stories hit the wire over the past couple of days. First and foremost, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on their 32 Thoughts of the podcast, basically the primary source for news uh, early in the offseason. They confirmed that Kyle Dubas's contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins is seven years long, and they said that it is, quote, a pace-setting contract, whereas other contracts to come after this will be looking at Kyle Dubas as he sets the market for president of Hockey Ops or somebody that takes on the role of both president of Hockey Ops and as he is currently interim general manager. So what did you think when you heard that? It clearly tells you that Fenway Sports Group is invested in Kyle Dubas and Kyle Dubas is heavily invested in the Pittsburgh Penguins. They think highly of him. They think Fenway Fenway Sports Group thinks very highly of Kyle Dubas for seven years. That's an impressive number. Um, that's an impressive number for players to get, let alone front office executives. Um, I think, you know, it, it, the thing is about Kyle Dubas too, though, is that because it did also seem like such a family decision, you know, it was going to be a family decision to stay in Toronto or not. Um, you know, if it wasn't Toronto, he said he was going to take the time off. You wouldn't see him popping up anywhere. Well, then he got fired, and sure, the circumstances changed. But even in, in his Pittsburgh press conference, it sounded like he wanted it to still be a family decision of, you know, let's move now before the kids get, you know, entrenched in school, this, that, the other. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move now. And not only are they is are they moving now, but they're moving now and staying for at least seven years, it seems give or take, you know, minus any firings, but seven years is kind of the goal here. And not only is that good for the Penguins who are going to have this hockey mind in the front office for seven years, and he'll still be young when it's over in the grand scheme of things. uh, It's also a deal that Kyle Dubas, he wasn't going to get anything less in terms of the years because of that family decision. That's also what I think because you think he was going to, have that discussion with his family and then go, okay, I'm signing a three-year deal. No, because then that they'd be right back to square one in no time. You have those extra four years. Everyone's going to grow up a little more. Who knows, real quickly, he might get an extension after that. Um, it'll be interesting to see. The, the further details are in uh, or are on that podcast, and also Jacob from Inside the Penguins wrote a story on it that just got published a little before we started recording. Um, it's the standard setting contract now for executives. We're going to see how many deals like this follow. I forget what Hextall signed for, but I think he had a he year had, left. Uh, I, Brian Burke had one year left on his contract, so I'd assume Hextall was signed to the same deal. Yeah, I just remember hearing... Or at least the, same length of time. Yeah, the same I can just remember hearing through the grapevine Hextall had a year left after uh, the season that just ended anyway. So... Hmm. 
who knows? We'll see uh, where things go with other people. I think it's going to be a domino effect. I bet we see more um, contracts signed like this for front office, front office executives. Hmm. They compared it to the Mike Babcock deal in Toronto. I don't know how coaches' deals are going to work just because there's such a turnover there. Yes. Yeah, because coaches' deals, because uh, Babcock, what they mentioned on that podcast was Babcock wanted his his terms to be released to the public. Mm-hmm. That way, he could raise the floor of coaching deals all around the league. Um, and they they compared it to what Kyle Dubas has done. Although Kyle Dubas hasn't formally requested yeah. that all of the details come out, but seven years did come out. I would liken this to something else, not the Mike Babcock contract in Toronto, but I would liken this to when Fenway Sports Group brought in Theo Epstein okay, to the Boston Red Sox in 2006. Yeah, I I think that's what they envision here. They envision Kyle Dubas as as their guy to come in to change the face of this, this franchise despite having these aging veterans and to really ride out the remainder of this career while building something sustainable. While the Boston Red Sox, listen, this season they're not good. Since 2006, they've been one of the premier organizations in the MLB. That's what Fenway wants to see Kyle Dubas do to Pittsburgh. To continue, obviously, Pittsburgh is already one of the premier organizations in the NHL, but they want to build that even bigger in a sport that has still yet to boom and grow the way that it has potential to do. Yeah, the Red Sox are a team, they're like the Yankees. They could be really bad. And yet, they're still one of the most popular, most watched, uh, most televised teams in the league. Uh, and like the Red Sox haven't been that great for a couple seasons now, if I'm remembering correctly. But they're still, you know, headline news all the time because they bring in stars. I don't know who's on the team this year, but what they were bad and still had Mookie Betts, right? Uh, they traded ago? Mookie Betts. They have Alex Verdugo right now. They couldn't afford to to re-sign Xander Bogarts over the summer, Ooh. but they had him for a long time. Uh, he ended up signing in San Diego. But even no, their the Red bad Sox, years, yeah, they have good yeah, players, marketable players, and a marketable team. It helps that they're one of the most historic franchises in the world, but mm-hmm. it's still something that even when they're bad, they're watchable, they're fun, they're entertaining, and they are getting those view that that kind of viewership. I'm not saying that's what's going to get pulled the Penguins here, but we're all well aware this team is going to be bad. <laughs> Pretty soon. Uh, eventually. Yes. Yeah, uh, eventually there's that gap. Whether that gap is long or short, that depends on what Dubas is able to do in the next couple of seasons, but there is going to be a gap, rest assured. Um, but here's the other thing that I, I thought whenever I saw, okay, seven years is now confirmed as his contract length. That guarantees that he is the general manager, or at least president of hockey ops, through the end of certainly Evgeny Malkin's con or career, mm-hmm. certainly Chris Letang's career, and more than likely Sidney Crosby's career. So they purposely, they being Fenway Sports Group, knew that signing this deal guarantees that hey. Kyle Dubas is the person we want to shepherd the end of the Sidney Crosby era, not towards the end. We want him to shepherd the very end of the Crosby, Malkin, and Latang era, and we want him to be the one to start building from there. Whether he can continue to build, that's going to be based on years five, six, and seven, whether he gets that contract extension. But they trust in him that once the 
the careers of those three end, he is the guy that they want to at least kickstart the next era of Pittsburgh Penguins hockey afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly what they want to do. It's I know every general manager or president of hockey operations will say, we want to win now and build for the future. It's what Ron Hextall said. It's probably what Bradshaw Living said when he was hired in Toronto. It's probably what the guy in Craig Conroy said in, Col- in uh, Calgary. That's just what they're all going to say. It is what Kyle Dubas said here. At least here, he has the deal to kind of prove that, oh yeah, this is exactly what we're doing. We're going to win now with our core. We're going to try and build a team to win now with our core in their remaining years. And then I've got three years left to build on top of it, build after that. So his two-pronged approach, while yes, every incoming executive says that, his has a little bit more meaning because he's got the contract and I'll back it up. Just say, look, here's I'm going to be here for it. I may as well mean it. Hextall came in and said it on what I, if I'm doing math correctly, four years worth of a deal, maybe three or something. Uh, did, did, and then did nothing to back it up because he didn't need to. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still like that when, uh, when Kyle Dubas mentioned it, he mentioned that there is a gap and there's going to be a gap. And there, right now there is, there's going to be a chasm at the moment. And he's just trying to shorten that gap. That's, that's a different way that Ron Hextall never phrased it. Uh, but the admittance that the team is going to be bad is something that Ron Hextall never did. And yeah. the fact that Kyle Dubas did that transparently in his first press conference as Penguins president of hockey operations uh, just says a lot about the way of thinking about each of those two gentlemen. But um, regardless, uh, seven years for Kyle Dubas. He's here for the long haul. We'll see how he's able to perform in 15 days at the NHL draft, his first as a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. Uh, another bit of news, not involving anybody on the ice, but somebody that sits behind the bench, that's Todd Reardon. He was passed over for the head coaching job for the Calgary Flames. Yesterday, of course, the Flames end up hiring Ryan Huska, who was the assistant coach at the time. He is now elevated to the role of head coach for the Calgary Flames. Todd Reardon loses out on another head coaching job as he did last offseason as well. Any thoughts on Dubas, who was one of at least four candidates for the Calgary Flames position, according to 32 Thoughts? Any thoughts of Reardon as one of the four candidates? Um, you said, uh, it's, you know, he's going to get a job again somewhere. He's going to head coach again somewhere, for sure. I mean, they didn't name him associate coach for nothing, which... Sure, it might seem like a meaningless title, especially in the grand scheme of what we just saw this past season. But it uh, it should be it should be interesting to see how his future goes. I know he was in the final running, it seemed, for that. And then Mike Vellucci had maybe was one of the 300, 600 people that interviewed in or was in the conversation for Anaheim. Um, Mike Still Vellucci- might be. <laughs> There's really no news out about that Anaheim thing, but yeah, apparently Pat Verbeek had a wide open search on didn't they hire for the head coach. Am I making uh, that I'm not sure. I, I looked it up. I didn't think I saw it. I'll look it up real quick if you want to keep talking. Yeah, but I mean, regardless, like like we mentioned, the NHL head coaches, sure, that Mike Babcock contract, like we discussed, eight years. He wants it to be known and to kind of set the standard for NHL coaches. NHL coaches get filtered through a lot faster than general managers, it seems. There's two-year deal signed, three-year deal signed. It was shocking whenever we found out Mike Sullivan got signed two years in advance. Um, And beside him on the bench is 
Todd Reardon, who has head coaching experience and can do it again and probably will do it again. Uh, and probably in the very near future, we'll see. And Mike Vellucci, who has never coached in the NHL before but has an extensive history in the AHL and is building a decent resume as an NHL-level assistant who could easily take a young team like the Ducks if uh, or any other team around that era or around that stature. Uh, Mike Vellucci would be a good, a good starter head coach for them. Mm-hmm. And you were correct. The Anaheim Ducks did hire a head coach. They hired Greg Cronin back on June fifth. I just, uh, I guess, I must have missed that. Uh, but right. regardless, I think he so was Mike Lucci's out though, too. So. so it seems as if both Penguins assistants are likely to return. The question then becomes: Should the Penguins have looked harder at switching up the coaching staff behind Mike Sullivan? Personally, I think so. A little bit. I know they also. I know both of those men also just signed extensions. This past uh, last off season, um, and like I said, the Reardon promotion, quote unquote, to associate. It's yeah, they have to see through those extensions, but I think this team could do some good with small changes around Sullivan. Sure, Sullivan loves his guys too, and Kyle Dubas uh, said Sullivan and his staff are. You know, top tier, and they are. They're a good staff. Things just need to be changed a little bit. And my whole thing this off season is plans of change. Let's see some positive change, and if that involves a coaching change outside of Mike Sullivan, go for it. I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, we also keep hiring people to stand behind the bench. I think uh, what's his name, Ty Hennis, was promoted like halfway through the season to be. Something or other. I don't know if it's assistant, assistant coach. coach. Assistant coach. All right. So we have a we have other faces back there. We have other names that can do it. Um, and if Sheldon Keefe is out in Toronto, that'd be one heck of an assistant. That would be interesting. Uh, again, I don't think that there's there's room. But nope. I mean, at the end of the day, who says you can't have eight assistant coaches behind the bench? You're just gonna have to extend the benches at PPG Paints. Arena. Is there a limit? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, if there is, there might be, but again, that's, uh, you know, if you know the answer to that, leave a, leave a review or leave a comment in the comment section on YouTube, but no, each of them have one year left on their contract. They signed two year extensions last season. Mm-hmm. I would say yes, but at the same time, I can see why they didn't. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Dubas coming in. He's going to change a lot about the front office. And the trust that he has shown already, at least uh, outward facing, and the trust that Fenway Sports Group has shown to Mike Sullivan shows me that as long as Sullivan is backing those two guys, those two guys are going to get another chance. Now, how long does that leash extend? Probably as far as next season. Uh, The way I see both Mike Vellucci and Todd Reardon heading into the 2023 season is that they are a show-me player. Remember how we always say, you know, players are on a show-me year. This is a show-me contract. This is a show-me year for both Todd Reardon and Mike Vellucci. The only real difference is coaching is more linear, whereas players are more volatile. You're not going to really lose your coaching acumen, whereas you can deteriorate in physical skills. So especially in coaching when you're trying to evaluate coaches their prior experience stays with them and plays a little bit more of a role in evaluation than a player because you can say hey Sidney Crosby was fast and great off the uh, off the rush and he's not he's not horrible off the rush but 
that's that's not the scattering report anymore. He's a bull and hard to get off the puck. He does his best work below the goal line where before he had that, but he also had the rush. He also had, he can deek through five different guys. Not say that he couldn't do it now, but it's not a part of his game as much as it used to be. Whereas coaching, like I said, it's more linear. So um, while it is a show me year, a lot of the previous results are going to come into play for both Volucci and Reardon, whether or not they get re-upped on a new contract after the season or potentially in the middle of the upcoming season. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. It's going to be that show me year. Uh, back, it's what Tristan Jarrett had to go through this year. It was his show me year. Let's see what you can do, and we'll work out the deal in the offseason. Um, and, you know, the Jarrett thing does, needs no introduction. But that's not what we're here to talk about. That's just exactly the situation that Reardon and... Uh, Volucci are heading into with uh, with this season. Just to, that's just the parallel. Said it is their show me year, and it's important for them. We know, like that we t- speak highly of these guys. We do. We speak that they are going to eventually, probably one day, be head coaches in the NHL. Todd Reardon already has been, and has a great opportunity to become a, to get back there again somewhere. Um, and then Volucci's got a great chance of being it one day. So it's they just need to perform a little bit better than they did last season and then you know improve on that show me year mm-hmm. and that Tristan Jari six degrees of separation it seems weekly uh, is brought to you by Kevin Bacon so uh there it is every week we we always go back to six degrees of separation with Tristan Jari but we're gonna take a quick break when we return well we stole let's be honest here I'm stealing a segment from our good friend Hunter Hodes. We're going to discuss cup comparisons between 2009 and 2016. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Yesterday on June 12th was the anniversary of the Penguins winning the Cup in both 2009 and in 2016. And uh, in the spirit of that, and also credit to Hunter Hodes who did this on his show yesterday, I, I want to ask you, Horwat, in your opinion, and we want to hear the opinion of all of those who are listening as well, which Cup run was more impressive, 2009 or 2016? Ooh, I, maybe 2016 was more impressive because uh, I'm just trying to remember the rosters, trying to remember the teams. Um, but at least in, if you look at the 2009 year, I, they were at the cup final the year before. They were playing the same team the year before. It was obviously a very different molded team. But they knew, the main guys knew they had the ability to get there again. Whereas in 16, it was the year before they got ousted in the first round. Right? Was it the first round of the Rangers in 15? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was the very, very bad team that barely got in. So Yeah, they got one win that series. Yeah. Sure. So it wasn't certain that, you know, in 2016, they'd, they were playing the same team again in the first round. Sure, it was a much improved team with a new head coach and new style of game and a much better young rookie goaltender, but 
I think there was still uncertainty of the 2016, 2016 year, whereas the team didn't seem as good. They may not have made it out of the first round. They're playing the Rangers again at home ice advantage. Who cares? It was still the same battle. And once they made it out of the first round, things kind of seemed to go, okay, here we go. Capitals second round you know, in every series. But I think 2016 would have been more impressive, uh, whereas 2009 may have had the better team. I would go on the other side of that. I, I think 2009, in my opinion, was more impressive for, for a, a multitude of reasons. I mean, you look at the first-round matchups, that Rangers team was cooked. Yeah. Right? That that was the remnants of the 2014 Rangers team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals and got absolutely crushed uh, by the LA Kings. And that was the Rangers team that was on the decline very quickly. Uh, and, and they were getting ready for that rebuild. So while, yes, the Rangers had gotten the Penguins number or had the Penguins number the previous two seasons I wasn't all that concerned other than the fact that Jeff Zadkoff was starting in game one I wasn't all that concerned especially after Jeff Zadkoff won that game one uh, about the Pittsburgh Penguins taking down the New York Rangers whereas the first round in 2009 yes they were coming off of a, a Stanley Cup final appearance but man that Philadelphia Flyers series was brutal yeah uh, and of course has Max Talbot's first big moment uh, in, in the playoffs that year, the shushing of the crowd after the fight where he got absolutely crushed by Daniel Carcillo. But when I look at 2009, the one thing that is uh, matched up pair to pair, 2009 to 2016, who did they face in the second round? It was the Washington Capitals. But in 2009, it was Sid versus OV round one. Um, maybe the Capitals weren't as good as they were in 2016 because they were a powerhouse by the time 2016 rolled around. But man, Alex Ovechkin in 2009 at that age was just impossible to stop. And so was Sid for that matter. And we obviously got the dueling hat trick game, but let's not forget that series went seven games mm -hmm. and it took probably, you know, I would say nothing shy of a Herculean effort by Marc-Andre Fleury to keep the Capitals from getting out to a lead early against the, the Penguins in that game. And, and then you get to the finals uh, in both seasons. And, and that's where really the big discrepancy is for me because you look at the Penguins Red Wings. Yes, it might have been a rematch. Yes, you might have had them the year before. But one, the Penguins were down three to two in that series. Mm -hmm. And two, even when they won game six, and I was reminded of this fact yesterday whenever I was watching the video uh, of Colby Armstrong, Max Talbot, and Tyler Kennedy, which the Penguins put up on, on YouTube, of the three of them watching Game 7 of the 2009 Final. I was reminded by them, the Penguins, in both years leading up to that Game 7, had not won a single game at Joe Louis Arena in either of those two series. And now they were tasked to beat a team of almost fully Hall of Famers. In Joe Louis Arena, a place that they had just lost five to nothing in Game Five and had not won either year up to that point. So without Sidney Crosby for over half the game mm -hmm. in that one. So to, to me, and then when you look at Penguin Sharks, in my opinion, yes, the Sharks were a good team that year, but there was there was no doubt after the Penguins went through the Caps and the Lightning that they were going to lose to the San Jose Sharks, particularly after they went up two to nothing and with two wins at PPG Paints Arena. You know, you're turning me on this one, yeah. Just because also, <laughs> you have to think I thought of, long and hard about this. Yeah, you thought longer and harder about it than I did. Um, but you also have to look at, yeah, you're right. They did. They were there the season before, and yeah, they knew they could do it. 
Um, but they were still 22, 21. Crosby, Malkin, Flurry. Latang was a third line player, second line player those years, playing with Daryl Sador, maybe. Certainly wasn't Gonchar. Maybe. I mean, on the power play, it was. Uh, that, yeah, there he was on the power play for sure. Yeah, 18-year-old Chris Letang on the power play with Sergei Gonchar. <laughs> yeah, it, but it was a much different team. Plus, um, I, yeah, you know, you turned me on it too, but that's, I guess, what that's what this is for. They were both impressive for sure, given this. Oh yeah. Given the trajectories of each team, and then yeah, this just that, oh, and it was yes, that Red Wings team with all those Hall of Famers, mind you. Marion Hosa. Uh, He's the Hall of with, Famer. With, yeah, Hall of Famer, but with that whole storyline at the time, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, 2009 may have been the more impressive team. Uh, did, did 2016 feel more fun, though? I think it felt more, uh, or what? It felt more fun because we were in college and drinking. <laughs> I, as we're going to say, I feel like 2017 being may have been the years most old. Fun. I feel like 2017 may have been the most fun because we were another year older and it was, ah, we won last year. We don't need to win this year, but let's do it anyway. But, it's gravy. It's gravy at that point. We're like, hey, we want to, you know, they won the Stanley Cup in 20. They won it last year. And, and honestly, if you ask most people who were around Pittsburgh at that time, once they beat the Caps again, mm-hmm. people thought they were invincible. Like there, there was no debt. Like, and if they would have beaten the Caps again in 2018, People would have still thought they were invincible, even against that Lightning team in 2018. Like, they would have gotten yeah. through the Capitals again. There wouldn't have been a shred of doubt in anybody's mind that they were going to try to go, they were going to win a three-peat. Whether that happened or not is a different story, but everybody would have been 100% confident in the city of Pittsburgh. Maybe not the team. I mean, I would assume they'd be very confident if they won back-to-back cups and were heading to the Eastern Conference Finals again, but no. Uh, I, I get what you're saying, and, and listen, I think, here's how I'm going to put it. 2016 was the more impressive team. I think they were the better team. Mm-hmm. 2009 was the more impressive run, in my opinion. Okay, yeah. That's trying to, That's why I said I don't have the rosters or anything in front of me. I felt like, just thinking through it, 16 may have been a better team, yeah. Just because, I mean, the, the consistence were still there. Malkin, Crosby, Kunitz, Fleury, Latang. Uh... And then, and the 2016 team, the depth was well. The depth was stellar. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't stellar in the sake by the sake of in 2009. That depth was stellar with names: Max Talbot, jo, uh, Jordan Stahl, Tyler Kennedy, um, Ruslan Fedotenko floated around. Peter Skor was hurt for that run, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he was, was there. Yeah. Mir- Mirzov Satan. Uh, I already mentioned Daryl Sador. I think he was on that team. I don't think he was Mark playing. Eaton. I'm thinking of Mark Eaton. You, I, I was Mark like, Eaton. I, if he's on that team, he wasn't playing. But like Mark Eaton, Hal Gill, Sergey Gonchar, oh, Chris Letang, Brooks Orpik, that was the majority of the defense. I'm missing one. And I feel really bad because I was like, I just rattled off five. I Rob don't know who Scuderi. That, the piece, the missing piece. That's who I was missing. Of course it is. Uh, good call on that, Horwath. Yeah. But no, like that team, first of all, and again, when I, I say all this, I try to put my bias aside because the 2009 team was my favorite team of all okay. time. Any sport, 2009, that is my favorite team. 
And I'm sure, you know, you ask some of these guys, again, I highly suggest anybody that had a deep connection to the 2019 or, or that just likes the Pittsburgh Penguins, go watch that video. It's 42 minutes on YouTube. I threw it on last night while I was doing some work. It, it's, it, it's tremendous. Um, but that team had a, a, a really special place in my heart. Uh, 2016 was great, but 2009, the first time you see, you know, the Pittsburgh in our lifetime, the Pittsburgh Penguins raised the Stanley Cup. That was that was very special, especially considering the heartache of watching them lose the year prior. You know, watching Ryan Malone and Marion Hossa that year not be able to win and knowing that neither of them are probably coming back. Uh, little did we know Hossa was going to jump ship the way he did and turn heel. Uh, but no, to see them be able to come back and beat the Red Wings, uh, it's the reason why I, I've I've kind of cooled off on my hatred for the Ottawa Senators a little bit because that was the story two years prior that hey they came back they beat the Senators and that meant the world uh, in 2008 so uh, the it just happened that that year and the following year uh, a bigger storyline emerged yeah yeah and it was uh, it was you know our first time watching a team win a cup like that Crosby's first time winning it Malkin's first time winning it and all of that so it was fun times as a child and the good childhood memories and that team was stellar like i said the depth was great but the depth was great with uh solidified names it was a it was a veteran depth team there you know when you talk about the 16 the depth of the 16 team it was a bunch of minor league calls and haven't made their name yet but mm. here they are still playing in the nhl to this day some of them really good i.e brian rust and jake Ensel was the next season connor sherry Connor Sherry, but uh, he still has an NHL contract, so yeah, he's pretty good. It was names he's that he's still a good player. Yeah, it was names that hadn't made their name, made the names for themselves yet. Oh, Matt Murray, duh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, call up who was only AHL Player of the Year the season prior. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that I will uh, add to this before we go is the time between 2009 and 2016, the 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 chasm where there was no Stanley Cup is equally as long as 2017 to the 2024 Stanley Cup. Okay. Doesn't That's feel insane like it. to me. Yeah. That wow. is insane to me. Considering it felt between 2009 and 2016 like forever until they were able to get back to the top. And now we're already heading into next season where you know, if they win, it'll be the exact same gap between 2009-2016 as it would be between 2017 and 2024. All that it means is we're winning at 25 as well. All that that means is I have a filter on my computer right now showing that, uh, trying to get rid of all of my gray hairs because we're getting old, Horwat. <laughs> we know. But we're still that's going to do it. You know how many yeah, listen, my fiance. Yeah, well, a lot of people, but my fiance makes a habit of calling out anytime she sees me have a gray hair and they're getting much more prevalent. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kayla. Thank you for every time you do that. It makes me it makes me feel so great about myself. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode. And yeah, like you said, everybody that's, you know, yeah. not under 30 years old still just looked at us and said, yeah, I'm going to turn this off now. Yeah. These guys are are, are n- getting on my last nerve. But regardless, that's where we're going to end this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.